Today's episode is brought to you by the Vegas Beer Guys and the Sounds and Cinema Podcast. The Everything Sequel Podcast contains explicit language. You have been forewarned. Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the 1982 Singles Edition. Today, Airplane 2, the sequel, directed by Ken Finkelman. Finkelman! Finkelman! My name is Michael Schatz. I am from the How Dare You Awards. Joining me, as always, your friend and mine, Tom Stewart from Lonesome Whistle Productions. Say hello, Tom. I guess irony can be pretty ironic sometimes. <laughs> Perfect. Only William Only Shatner, Shatner can, can do that. Like exactly that. right. And of course, joining us in this adventure for the 1982 sequels is Matt Aldrich, co-writer of Coco. Hello, Matt. Hello. Welcome again. Thanks for doing this. I can't. This one. Oh, I can't <laughs> wait. I'm sure. I feel like I'm sharpening my knives a little bit. Maybe prematurely um, i think some of these knives are i'm saving for halloween 3 but this this i was most disappointed by this movie i, I now you'd think i was too on a rewatch knives. you'd think there'd be knives in halloween 3 but there nope, are not a single knife we'll get there <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to the weapon of choice in halloween 3 yeah. <laughs> halloween 3 no knives <laughs> <laughs> no knives no michael myers We'll still call it a no, movie. no horror, really. No, yeah, <laughs> okay. more of sci-fi, really. Yeah, exactly. Um, but that's but not the movie we're talking too. about, Tom. Calm down. But this is also a science fiction movie. We're teasing Halloween three, right? Yeah. Um, so we're but, talking we're, about right now, yeah. a movie, Airplane Two, the sequel, directed by Ken Finkelman. Obviously, we talked in our last episode at length that Ken Finkelman's fingerprints are all over these single sequels. Because he wrote Grease 2. In addition, he's written uh, or directed Head Office, wrote Grease 2, Who's That Girl, and Illegally Yours. And then I liked this, 31 episodes of The Newsroom, not that newsroom, some other newsroom. (laughs) (laughs) And I wondered if you knew about that, Tom, because I think it's a British television show. The Newsroom? I think so. Never heard of it. All right. I said, wow, he directed 31 episodes of the newsroom. And then I looked, I hit the button for newsroom and it was a completely different set of people. And I thought, what the fuck is going on here? Thought I wow. fell into the matrix. No, I have not. I have not. Uh, I have no knowledge of that existing. All right. Well, look, this this movie, budget of $15 million dollars. Uh, opened to only $5.3 million, both USA and the world cumulatively 27.1. So a profit, but not enough for any studio to say anything other than all planned sequels, including the one we announced at the end of the credits, are going to happen. You think that's a real announcement? I assume that was a joke. Oh, no, I thought it was not a joke. Oh no! I don't. I don't think that's a joke either. Yeah. I think. I think wow. It goes to what we were talking about about um, Greece two, um, 
Grease 2 wanted to be like a, a four-parter um, and uh, and they envisioned the same kind of thing for Airplane um, to be sort of an ongoing franchise and Ken Finkelman had his hand in killing both of them in the same year. Right. Um, there's, there, there's, he's got blood on his hands and I think he, this is the time we can sort of bring him forward and, you know, he wrote and directed this um, after the creator's um, explicitly right. like didn't want anything to do with so it. So both the Zuckers um, and Abraham still have not seen this movie, which I think you alluded to in our last episode, Matt, or in maybe our yeah. introductory. <clears throat> yeah, they, 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 they've not seen the movie. No, they refused. refused. They refused to see a, even a frame of the movie. Um, and and it was um, it was like apparently you know it was it was a, a big work kind of getting um, the people back that they did you know um, Robert Hayes I read some interviews with him where he was really on the fence about whether to do a second one because sequels at that point had a bit of a stigma and he didn't want to just be like the guy from Airplane like he I think he had he had done a very silly movie and it did very well and it sort of got away from everybody about how well it did and how much he would go on to just be like associated with that movie mm-hmm. and little else um same with julie haggerty and 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 um i would push back on julie know. haggerty i think she's <clears throat> she's still she's, around she's still working she's still working and, no. she's had a fine career she's i think oh she's no great. I, just, I just i just mean like what sort of the first thing you think of when you think of julie ha- for me first thing yeah. i when I think of either of them, i'd agree I with that the airplane movie. but i think my point and, you know, was i think of several movies after that whereas with robert hayes i think of airplane and it pretty much stops <laughs> yes uh, absolutely. so was he a straight actor I couldn't tell you a thing about him. I don't know anything about his sexual <laughs> I mean, identity, Tom. Because my my understanding of the original airplane is that 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 these that the people who the cast were they were comedians waiting, you know that they didn't know that they were comic actors until they did that movie. Like they were just well, that's playing... part of what makes that movie work so well. Is you exactly yeah. you know it's Les, Leslie Nielsen parodying roles he has played before, right, exactly. finding out that he. He's a great comic lead. Lloyd Bridges, Robert Stack, all Lloyd these Bridges guys. Lloyd Bridges goes yeah. on to yeah. do Hot Shots, and um, so it's in, it, interesting where where Robert. I mean, he plays it, I guess, straight. Yeah, um, for the most part. Yeah, I think he he does a great job. But I guess you don't have those same discoveries here. I, I guess, except Shatner. I, I mean, Shatner hadn't done much comedy before and and he did a lot of comedy he's done a lot of comedy since yeah and think mm-hmm. about and we'll get to where Shatner appears in the movie and everything but but um, again putting this in context um, 82 was also the year that Star Trek 2 right. uh, came out and so it's insane yeah it's completely insane to have Shatner doing both of these movies in the same year that is um, crazy Star Trek 2 came out in the summer and then this came out in the beginning December, of December. 10th by the way yeah, by the way, uh, also that weekend, Sophie's Choice and The Toy. Um, and the weekend previous was 48 Hours, Gandhi, and The Verdict. So, again, this is one of these Damn. movies where you look at the landscape of what was hitting theaters um, at that point. Um, you know, a, a week later, it was Tootsie. Um, there was a Pink Panther movie that came out. Um, the Dark Crystal. I mean, like, all of these movies came out within four weeks of each other that year. And Airplane 2, again, on paper, 
we had this great big hit. We're going to make a sequel of it. We're going to drop it in December right after Thanksgiving. It's going to be huge. You know, like you can just sort of see right. the dollar signs in the eyes of, of the studio. And, um, and so it doesn't surprise me that it sort of limped its way to profitability and then found whatever audience it found, I think largely found on cable in the years after where it was on for in my house, it was on heavy rotation. Yeah. Speaking of the 1982 of it all, I got to say kudos for them for getting that E.T. joke in. Exactly. Well, I thought amazing. the same it's thing. Quick, that was released in June. Because that was, yeah, exactly. E.T. released in June, right? I had it immediately reminded me of uh, South Park, the movie. Right. Yeah. It came out and they had that bit about Jar Jar, which they added yes. last minute or something because they came out the same year. I mean, that movie came out, I think, just a month or two after yeah, the, the, and adding something, Star Wars adding something out. into and adding something into an animated film um, is 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 uh, it takes time. You know, the, the South Park guys have a very quick turnaround. Um, yeah, so, they do. Um, so they were able to do that. No other animated film would have been able to be that nimble. Um, but but there's a the, the the quickness of the turnaround of this joke. There's a joke in the beginning of this film in the airport. There's a sort of a slow pan of a bank of payphones. Right. People are calling home and doing everything, and then they go to the last payphone, and all you see is this wrinkled hand, ET hand, come up, um, and pick up the phone and and dialing collect. Says, Dial and collect needs his phone home, and that they, they said it'll be like three billion dollars, and he just yeah. hangs up. And it's like there's no actors' faces in that. Um, you know, there's no um, uh, there's no like really production value to that shot at all other than the et hand you know um which they probably just got it at the halloween store um you know a few months before they finished shooting this movie so it seems like they folded this in at the last minute which tells Mm -hmm. me they were working on this thing up to release date it it, yeah Yeah, like that it was like when it went into theaters like it was still dripping wet probably yeah that that's what that's what that joke tells me. Um, it was so I was amazed to see it. Yeah, and I was me like, too. oh wow. And I was like, oh, but that means they were really they were patching this thing up and trying to like like cram jokes into it up until the the very last second. And that's never a good feeling to get when you start <laughs> out a movie. Now, are you guys on the same page as me? I. I thought this movie was really funny in its first 15 minutes. And then I think it picks up the funny at the end of the movie. Although I still have issues with the end, but I'd, I'd, I'd semi go along with that. My, my favorite section is, is when they get to the moon. Um, definitely. Yeah. For me too. The weak, the weakest section for me is definitely, uh, about around the hour mark. There's like a 10, 20 minutes full of really saggy half jokes. Like, yeah. the movie's literally coming apart at the seams. Like Simon. It's, it just kind of, yeah. And I was really taken aback by that, because that is, I know we're not supposed to be comparing to the original, but, you know, that never happens at any point in Airplane. Uh, the quality of jokes can be variable, but you never get, like, a kind of 15, 20 minutes of, bearing in mind this this movie is under 90 minutes it's like 124 yeah again again a red flag as we, we know Mike. about that yeah 
sequels that get progressively shorter, not a good thing. Not Um, a good good sign. There's about 10, 15 minutes where there's really no successful... There's no jokes that are successfully landing. And that's what I... I, um, The note noticed... uh, and well, I really not just that, but section. you're gonna I was, start. I was fine with the, I was fine with the early part of the movie. I think. Okay, I was gonna say I, I, to I, the middle. There's there's a point where you start writing the jokes yourself. You you st- like because they do a thing in the first movie where they say you know, somebody needs to go to the hospital. The hospital? What is it? Oh, it's a big building with lots of doctors in it. Those jokes. Yeah. And they start yeah. coming at a pace in this movie that are so fast and so furious that you start writing them. You you know what the punchline is the second it's brought up. Which makes which makes me wonder how they avoided that in the in Hot Shots and and Naked Gun because I don't remember having the same feeling right. even though ostensibly they're all the same jokes. And it's all the same movie. It's a it's a strange um thing like I I yeah, I think like I can watch the Naked Gun movies. Yeah, and I don't mind that they're a retread of the humor and the style and and the mm-hmm. there's something that, that I don't know. I I still bought my ticket and I still went. You know, mm-hmm. um, there's something about this movie though that feels like d- just dead on arrival. I, I I didn't especially like the first fifteen minutes. I was like I it was the same. You know, uh, red zone, white zone. Um, you know, joke. It was the, it was the. You know, I'll have the, you know, time bomb on the left. Time bomb on the left. Um, you know, it had the. You know, the really. You know, it was like it was the. the you know, I had recently watched Airplane because I was like, oh, I'm going to show my kids Airplane. Yeah. And two things happened. One, like I wanted to turn it off because it was like this is not for children. And two. Yeah. What happened even before that was they just got bored and left. They just didn't oh, have, they didn't um, get the humor. They didn't understand, obviously they didn't understand some of the references, but they didn't understand sort of the mode of humor of this being sort of like gotcha. a send up of something or zany or non sequitur. Well, they have or, no frame you know. of reference for the disaster movies and the serious exactly. stuff that that movie was parodying. And in some ways, the, the, the spoof movie, it feels now like a bit of an artifact um yeah. because we don't have like a common culture right now uh, everybody's sort of niched off into their own little world Subsets. where they can geek out yeah yeah um and and so like if you were to say like let's make a spoof movie today like what the hell are you gonna spoof what do we all know we don't all know anything and so the idea that that it was viable to say we're gonna spoof airport 1970 right <laughs> yeah you know <laughs> And everybody was like, "Yeah, that everybody will get that joke." Winner, and, and like, and it's like, and we'll we'll pack it full of like people like Leslie Nielsen, and like, yeah, everybody will understand that. Yeah. Um. So watching this movie just felt like I was on an archaeological dig in yeah. some ways, yes. like just sort of unearthing this this kind of movie that can't really exist now. So much um, so you know, that this is a movie. We forgot that in 1982 you were allowed to see boobs in a PG movie. And that was the first moment where I was like, oh, this is... Three minutes in, if anyone is counting. (laughs) Yeah. That was the first moment. That joke, that gag, the gag is uh, they're at the metal detector and they're at the x-ray sort of machine and the TSA, pre-whatever they were called before TSA, 
or, or they're watching the, the, the screen. And when a man walks through, they see the man fully dressed and they play the family feud strike yeah. noise. Yeah. Um, mm. And then when a woman walks through, she walks through and she's topless. And you have the family feud. And you have the family feud, you got the right answer, ding. Yeah. And it, to me, like that joke and that bit, it's almost like that's all I needed to see uh, for this movie. <laughs> I, I was it's your like, gateway joke. It was, it was like, here's where we're going to live. This is where yeah. we're going to live. We're going to live not just in a cheap sophomoric, you know, national lampoony kind of world. But we're also going to live in a world where this joke makes no internal sense. Hmm. Meaning, like, it should have taken the shirt off of everybody. We right. should have seen a bare man chest walk through and get the... And then we see a woman walk through and we get the ding. Then we're at least in just firmly in the sophomoric, like, okay, we're in National Lampoon territory. But you didn't even spend enough time on the joke to make it make sense. Mm -hmm. And that's where I was like, fuck you. Like, <laughs> you can. Like, I, I, at that point, I was like, fuck you, Ken. Like, I guarantee you, you know, the Zuckers and Abram, like, they, they would not have made that mistake. And I felt like that kept happening all throughout this Or, or they would have commented on... Or, yeah, right. That, I was just going to say... That lack of logic as part of the comedy. Yes, they would. The, the, there's something about their jokes, though, that, that follow a certain set of rules and function, you know, that there's a clockwork to it and a, and a density to it. You know, like they're, they're very good at sort of like in any given scene, there's three jokes. There's the, there's the foreground joke, the mid, the mid joke, and then the background joke, you know, and that's why those movies stand up to multiple viewings. And I felt but, like Ken yeah. was like, I'm going to give you one joke at a time. We're going to just line them up like boxcars on a train. And you're just going to sit here watching this train go by waiting 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 for the gate to go up so i can continue on with my day that's what i felt like i i think <laughs> i think part, ken, of, that, part, of, that, Holy part shit. of those rules and, and part of that framework for the zuckers is whatever you happen to be parodying sets yes. the rules and the tone and here we're split between a movie that is a parody of sequels in general mm-hmm and also, we've added science fiction. Science fiction, I was just going to say. And we but want we're still there trying to, be, to stay in the realm still doing of, an airport of airport movie. movies. right? And then we want the airplane, the parody of air, airport-style movies in, as well. So you've split your focus three ways. You're, you're kind of lessening your chances that it's going to, you know, it's going to... You've split your framework before you've even started. And that was, I mean, seeing this for the first time... It was a big shock to me that this was a science fiction movie. I wish it had been like, I wish they had gone all in on that. Like you're saying, there's yeah. split between like, it, 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 I was actually reading the Roger Ebert review of this movie at the, from 82. And he had a similar note. He said, uh, it never quite knows that it's on a, that it takes place on a spaceship. That it, it, like you, sure. you sort of forget you forget in the middle of the film you it feels and acts so much like a plane that you forget that you're actually on a spaceship well, and specifically and, and it's almost... too like because there's a moment where this this shuttle is hurtling towards the sun but there's a line that says we're going through the asteroid belt and yeah. of course my first thought is that's the other fucking way 
But then they didn't they make a joke about that? Do they? Or no, they didn't. I don't think no, they, they do. Didn't. No, they. That's the problem. They don't have the follow up gag that a good set of comedy right, writers exactly. would come up with. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it, it's, again, this. It, I, I, this is something. That, go ahead. Go ahead. Don. No, no. It, it's. I. I feel like. In. In having those, in having these different things to parody. Each joke speaks to one of those well at any given time, but never adds up to a satisfying whole. So, you you know, gag by gag, you can go, oh, that's, you know, that's a good spoof of right. the proliferation of sequels. Or how many Rocky movies are there going to be in the future? Right. Um, you know, here's, here's a, a gag about um, all our future might be terrorism, and here's a here's a here's a Star Wars joke. Here's a here's a, a here's a reference to two thousand one. But the here, comedy yeah. can't speak to all of that at once. <laughs> like one piece, one gag, or one set piece can't speak to all of that at once. Right. Um. And yeah, I I mean, I wish I wish it because this to me seems like the first one of the first, if not the first, sequel parody. And I wish they'd have done much more with that side of it. Not, I mm. mean, obviously we're doing this podcast, so you know that's that's why. But mm. that to me is its USP. That it's like, has anyone ever spoofed sequels before? They have since. I don't know if they have before. In the you know specifically. That's interesting. Because, but then a lot of these, a lot of the interesting things it says about this movie says about sequels are kind of by accident. I mean, the. This movie in 1982 doesn't know that we'll have this stream of sequels where they relocate to space. Mm-hmm. Like they don't know that that's what they're parodying. <laughs> right. But they, but yeah. watching it now, it's like you know this. If this had been made post Jason X or Leprechaun in Space, that would have been the obvious reference point. But that's not their reference point. That's just a a happy prophetic accident. Um, they're not really parodying. They're just parodying individual tropes of science fiction movies that happen to be popular, have been popular in the last 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. Like 2001, Star Wars. It's it's strange. Like, I, I, I'm able to make more of it than they are, <laughs> I think. I agree. Yeah. And I think, I think, and so when you, when, for me, the story, again, on paper, um, this is a perfectly reasonable um, pitch for a, a sequel to Airplane. We're going to get the gang back together. It's going to be the same, you know, same crew, but instead of a, a plane to Chicago. Yeah. No, all of that. Space shuttle, we're going to put them on a space shuttle to the moon. And, and everything is going to go awry, and Ted is going to have to land the ship again. Let yeah. me ask you this, and, though. Do you take issue with Ted reverting back to where he was in the first movie not, not at all okay like like i think the, the well, that's the, the pa- uh, that's that, a parody of sequels right there yeah in the same way that that you know you you were saying about grease too that you know being a musical affords you certain amount of latitude on some things you know and you're, you're sort of along for the ride i sit down to airplane and i'm not expecting like what's the next chapter in ted's life all about well like, yeah I, i'm I guess really not the reason i but ask give you is a because lot of, they do give you a lot of that though a lot of the story here is stuff we, that happens in between movies that we've not seen 
and I actually found that to be the most uh, the, for me the funniest stuff was the courtroom stuff because it was it was a um, parody of courtroom dramas. Yeah, um, and and so there were. Uh, how great is Raymond the, Burr? Raymond Burr. It's <laughs> so, like, have you ever laughed like you that? Ever, yes. Yes. Yes, I, yes have. I have. That was um, great. Um, well, that's the, that's the thing is that is that that felt like precious new ground that this movie was yeah. was finding um and the same way with the moon base at the end and shatner and like the the blinking beeping but you know like all of that stuff felt like precious new ground and then the rest of the movie felt like b-roll from airplane one it just felt like it, like so much of jokes this movie that i swore were in airplane one because they are Matt. i was like they are <laughs> i swear to god Oh my god! This movie retreads so much from the first movie. I mean, it's it you know, it's inexplicable and it's offensive. It's kind of like I feel like this movie is a bit of a funhouse, um, where you quite don't know. Like I can't reconcile my memory of the movie with watching it again. I kind of don't know what movie I'm looking at. I don't know what's a reflection and what's the actual path I'm supposed to be walking. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's so, um, um, it's so kind of discombobulating, I guess, um, that I don't, I'd never quite know what this movie is all about. Whereas I, I do watch the first one and I go, yeah, this was a parody of a certain kind of movie that was popular at the time. And I can yeah. sort of watch it in a museum in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, do I enjoy airplane now when I watch it? It's like, it's total like nostalgia. Whatever enjoyment I get is from, oh, I remember watching this and laughing because nobody was making movies like this. Yeah. But now, like, there's been dozens, literally dozens of movies like this made. And I feel like, again, the spoof genre is sort of played out and kind of impossible now. And, and so I feel like looking at this one as being the first spoof sequel is... is uh, I don't know. It just feels like a museum piece. It just feels like, a, like I said, like a, like a, like an artifact mm-hmm. of something. Uh, it's completely dead. At Tom, times do you it really even think... feels dated for 1982. I mean, there's Dick Nixon masks. Yeah. And there's yeah. like hippie parodies. I was thinking even for 19 this 1982 seems late for all this. This feels like a, uh, you know, a movie made by old people. <laughs> Somebody maybe of the age of a certain Ken Figelman. <laughs> <laughs> like the 60s and 70s play into this way more than they should, I think. Yeah. In terms of re- in terms of uh, reference, reference. Yeah. points. And I mean, there are a couple of occasions where in defense of the movie, they they are self-aware about repeating the original movie like that's also built into the concept lloyd bridges saying things sure haven't changed in yeah. front of a photograph in front of in front of like two photo of a photo of a photo a photo of a photo of a photo uh when elaine says i have the strangest feeling that we've you know we've been here before this has happened before but we've talked about this on on the podcast before with um uh die hard 2 and like you know is it really baked into the concept or is it just like Bugs Bunny turning to the camera and going, wow, this is happening twice. Right. Like, is that a sequel? And and, uh, sometimes here, I sometimes here, I don't know how acknowledged 
all of the repetition is. Um, even though they are obviously making a big deal about telling us that that this is a you know it's a parody of a sequel, and so we'll, part of that is that we're going to do everything again. Um, but there's still there's limits to that. I think. I mean, I I think I still think the whole hospital sequence. You know, which is beat for beat as it was in the original, the the mental right. hospital scene, which yeah. is beat for beat the hospital scene from the original movie. There's moments in that where I think, I don't think they know that this is the same thing necessarily. I think they may have forgotten I that they've d- done I, yeah, yeah. every single one of these jokes in the same order that they've done them. I don't, th- I, I, I think you might be giving the, Ken Finkelman too much credit um, in, in like knowing that there, it's like a parody of a sequel. Like it, it, it feels these feel that, yeah, like yeah, the, that's what I was obligatory. To me, it feels obligatory. Like they go like, well, this is what worked, and we're gonna do this again. I, 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 I see a sort of a cynicism in the construction of this thing, yeah. as opposed to we're gonna make fun of what sequels do. Um, I wasn't I sure were... either, Tom, that this movie is parroting sequels in and of itself. I, I think, I think it's unsuccessful and. Un- underuses that idea, but I think I think they fall back on that once in a while. I think they definitely do turn to the camera, like you're saying, and kind of wink, wink, and like it's sure. funny. We're kind of doing this all over again. Um, uh, it just feels like, well, then, if you're going to make it a parody of sequels, what are you exactly are you parodying? Right. And what are the sequels you're referencing? Because the only movie you're referencing is your own movie. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, there's a brief nod where they reference the Rocky sequels, which strangely, again, Rocky Three came out in 1982. It's not like there were a ton Mm -hmm. of Rocky movies by 1982. So it seems like an odd target for that. Um, But, but it, it, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I. I didn't get that meta quality to it. It just, for, to me, if, if it was there, to me, it came off as like kind of lazy, not really like self-aware meta. That's what I, I, I agree with you. That's, well, that I think, you know, feeling. it's something that, again, it's like you, you think about where this has been done better and obviously the Zuckers uh, have been able to do this with their other franchises um mel brooks is able to do stuff like this very that is very meta Mm -hmm. um very successfully you know this this is a far cry from Spaceballs, which you know and the this movie anticipates Spaceballs uh completely in so many different ways especially you know but but Spaceballs is just done so much better in in every respect yeah, this did. I mean, it's just there's so many strange choices of directions to go in, both on a macro and a and a micro level, and you know, I, I well, I'm sure we'll get into the the weeds on this, but I don't I don't know why there's jokes about rape trials. I don't know why <laughs> there's so much racism in this movie. Yeah. I don't know yeah. why there's abortion gap. You know, all this the stuff that is just shocked shocked me. It left me aghast, quite frankly. Me as well. And well, look, let's. Uh, I want to talk about that, those things in depth. So we're gonna take our first break, and then we'll come back and we'll we'll 
start hashing out some of the incredible choices of this movie right after this. I like to think I know something about beer, but nowadays even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need, the Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beers. Think of them as your beer sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer. And we are back. Tom, Matt, and I are here discussing the 1982 sequel, Airplane 2, the sequel. Well, so, <laughs> do you need to, like, brush your teeth after that? That was, just, that was a mouthful, you know? <laughs> we were talking about meta things in our last segment. That, even just talking about that got a little meta. Or introducing it. So, when we left, we were talking about some of the major problems this movie has in ways of racism and gender politics or what you know does anybody want to take take the reins on this like what offended you most i i will say because there are a lot of problems again again um having putting myself through the ordeal of watching all these movies from 1982 it's it shouldn't surprise anyone to you know, here that there's a lot of this going on. Um, right. You know, Airplane 2 is not a lone offender in this, um, in this no, arena, no, no. right? So, yeah. So, so I, you know, it, and in some ways it uses the, I'm just kidding, as, as a, as a, as a, it uses it sort of as a two-edged thing. Like on one edge, it's like, hey, we're, we're, we're sending yep. it up. We're pointing. We're pointing at it. That's we're a good. That that's a good is, caveat. Yeah. Um, this is uh, not okay. Um, but on the other hand, we're also using humor as sort of a, a way to hide our shield ourselves from criticism. And so, like, we're just kidding. We're just kidding. Being the sort of the first refuge of the of the For racist sure. um, and the um, and the offensive. You know. So, um, so this movie is problematic, and it is. Um, but I think the problem is is not just like we're looking at it with you know eyes twenty twenty one eyes you know yeah um, I think the the what you, what what we're seeing is in these movies uh, oh, let me back up when I was watching Annie another nineteen eighty two musical um, I watched it on stars and you know they they had the little stars logo and then they have like what the rating is you know mm -hmm. you know and the sort of the warnings. The first time I saw the warning OC 
for outdated cultural reference or depiction outdated cultural oh, depiction. Wow. that is the and then we're talking about there's the character um from the original annie uh comics this this sort of uh you know mm-hmm. um oh yeah magic you know, this guy named punjab who's like this sort of magic helper um to annie and he was from the comics they brought him in for the movie he's not in the musical and it's and it's the guy who eventually went on to do all those um um sprite commercials with the lemon and the seven lemon. up commercials seven up right? commercials yeah yeah it was that yeah. guy um and so this was the outdated cultural depiction that they're talking about and i and i took such offense at the phrase outdated cultural depiction because um we're still depicting people in that way like there's <laughs> we're just throwing a lot of sand over it um these days like like we're we what's what's so jarring is how um exposed these older movies are and how sort of unapologetic you know when airplane right. when airplane you know has the man in the beginning this is in the first 15 minutes of the movie they got the janitor you know he's an african-american guy comes in to to vacuum out the the cockpit listening to headphones while car wash is playing and then they make yeah. a joke where they turn off the artificial gravity and he starts floating around and nobody notices and it's just a, a pratfall that he does and again, the internal logic of this joke oh. does not work. It's it's a sloppy joke, but it's also like it's it's just a, it's it's a oh my bald it's race baldly baby. racist depiction, yeah. and and so it it is it provokes a certain kind of gorge rising, you know, um, and part of that part of that gorge rising is that this knowing that this is. This was completely acceptable and funny in 1982. Yeah. Like, got past everybody, got past every person at the studio, got past Ken Finkelman's um, keen eye, got past um, <laughs> the test. Sc- a little a got lot past of the Finkelman sc- there. <laughs> got past the screenings, got past the censors. It got past everybody. It was it was a hundred percent in the acceptable wheelhouse, and so. Um, mm-hmm. That it is not acceptable. <laughs> giving it a little too much credit to, to, to show something like that is um, it's obviously a, it's 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 an advancement, but it's it's what 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 kind of makes me cringe is knowing that in a lot of places, <laughs> a lot of people, that joke still has plenty of cultural currency today. That that joke is right. still funny today to to many people. Um, and this movie, many people that were recently in the Capitol. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, like the so it, I took umbrage with the word outdated because it feels it, it, this isn't th- this feels very mm. um, current and um, charged. And if anything, watching it now, it it has the, whatever the opposite of comedy is. Like, it is sure. the opposite of comedy. And it's one of the reasons why I was having such a hard time watching this movie because it's not just this one scene, and you've got you got everything. I mean, it's everybody throughout it. It's it's not just the racism. The dad who talks about women and it's, they're it, all asking for it. You know, every, the just the mid, the Middle Eastern terrorists, the sort of the, the 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 Japanese tourists with all the cameras around their head, like it 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 wearing so many cameras, he's top heavy and falls over. Is the joke? Yeah. Oh my God. But this, this, what's, oh my God, yeah. 
But I'm really interested in this idea, the idea that, that Matt brought up about, you know, what's their deniability for all this stuff? Yeah, it's, it's like out there, it's barefaced, but, you know, how do we walk it back? And one way is that kind of it's schoolboy comedy. We're just kidding. Don't take it so seriously. Um, then the other one is, is because it's part of the sci-fi dystopia of the movie. Like that, that is conscious? that is a big part of of why they feel justified to do these gags, or at least why. At least it's their it's their way in, to these gags that we can make all these jokes because the future is going to be much worse than now, so society is going to be much worse than now, and all this stuff is going to be happening. I think I mean in every nearly every context, it's like, it's like uh, you know. Well, think about how things are now. What is going to be like 20 years from now? And that either leads to this kind of like gentle Seinfeldian observational comedy like, oh, the music in elevators is getting loud. Uh, imagine what it'll be like in 20 years time. But it's also in like, oh, you know, terrorists will just be able to walk through airports and we'll be beating up, you know, old white yeah. women who come back and in it's this all movie kind of disguised also, come back, right? i mean or at least one of them. there's one thing to kind of put it out there and the car wash gag which i wrote down as well it's like wow somehow this movie's racial politics are worse than airplane where there's two jive talking characters who are who are like leads in the movie um and and again it was like it was like what's what's their out and their out is, oh, it's science fiction. Look, zero gravity is floating around. So they've got, they've got that it's science fiction, that we're in a dystopia. And this is this is how they're kind of riding around um, these awful, awful things. Yeah, but I also think about that in the context of 1982, which means this movie was probably being filmed in 1981. I think it was being filmed in the early part of 1982. <laughs> no, November 29th, 1982. You could be right. You absolutely could be right. I've, I've been feeling they were still but, shooting but it I guess my on point opening was, <laughs> My point was that we're in the dawn of Ronald Reagan's America, where Ronald Reagan was saying, you know, hey, it's okay to be American. And we were all sort of basking in the glow of his saying, let's feel yeah. better about ourselves. So does that dystopian argument fly? With... Well, yeah, well, I mean, the... but again, with, I think that's, with, that's, with where, that that's where they're being disingenuous and, and saying things that are very conservative, but masking it as, as kind of like, satire it's like social satire um mm -hmm. but literally by say this, by... Too, this movie this movie calls yeah. ronald reagan and calls like, him calls, calls him, him senile before we yeah, have the ronald reagan memorial psychiatric center where people are yeah. being beaten with rubber hoses and but, they even yeah, have a but that's a, that i think that's Ronald's a smoke before, screen know. to say you know that that we're that we're really progressives doing edgy comedy but that's a lie. This is as conservative as it gets. Right. But okay. these are all the smoke screens and masks that the bells and whistles, I think, that they're putting on it. Um, and you, it's, it's again, it comes down to tone. Like, there's all this prescient prophetic stuff in the movie, like gay marriage, like, uh, you know, terrorist attacks on, on flights, 
you know, all this sort of stuff, space travel, what have you, um, commercial space travel. But it's that kind, that sort of the tone, but the tone of that is all like offensive to the people you're representing. You know, it's like we're making fun of the fact that two men are kissing each other. It's like, yeah, that really yeah, happened. The, that's a part it, of our yeah. society now. It, it like like gay marriage is as normal as that. But that's not what the gag is. The gag is let's laugh at these two middle aged guy businessmen kissing each other. So it's a homophobic gag, but yes. you know, dressed up in this, you know, you can say, wow, look, they're prescient because gay marriage is a part of our future now. So I think there's there's so many outs for the writers here, uh, which just makes everything makes that writer shamelessness worse because it's it's shamelessness in the way it's presented but you can you can walk it all back and make it look like you're being hip and progressive and predictive and it's just not (laughs) because because the gag the punchline of the gag is always uh you know let's punch a woman in the face and another and they're hiding behind the sequelness of it as well to do more of the offensive stuff more of the time. So, you know, it's a sequel, so we need three times as many boots. It's a sequel, so we need to punch a woman in the face, like, repeatedly, again and again and again. Right. I feel like the... um, What you're describing, what I'm I'm hearing is, like, an intentional um, brashness, you know, um, like... You know, we're, I'm going to say the thing that no that no, everybody else is scared to say, or um, I'm going like a, like an Andrew Dice Clay, like it's going to be so in your face that it's it's going to be a parody of itself, you know, and in its sort of aggressive nature. I don't actually get that mm. from this movie. This just feels more like what you were just saying, which is, well, this joke was funny in the first one, so let's do it again. And like I just, well, those I just keep too, seeing sort of the for sure. yeah I just keep seeing the laziness yeah. of it over and over again you know the the um, that was my big thing too like this movie felt lazy in that way Matt because because of how much the, how much they're recycling yeah. and the and the only times where I was like oh tip of the hat like was uh, again in the courtroom scene I was like oh they just did a flashback inside of a flashback you know like that's th- that's. Mm-hmm excessive <laughs> and and um uh you know it, it's it's you know playing with the trope of of flashback in the same way that they played with the trope of flashback in the first one where he was telling the story of meeting elaine in in drambuie and then they come out of the flashback and the woman he's talking to is dead because he, the story is yeah. so boring but it's like and so they were like well let's just do that again hmm. you know is that woman free yes she's free get her <laughs> you know? literally the same but, exact woman yeah, yeah, so it's exactly. like it's like it's i don't feel like they were it's, this movie just doesn't feel like there was like there was thought put into it I, I don't know like it just feels like it was like uh we need a we need a we need an airplane sequel in three and a half weeks get me finkelman like that's just what it felt like <laughs> Um, that it was just like, and when you're done with that, Finkelman, write me a, write me a, a high school musical, you know, like, uh, like it's like the old studio system. Like he was just on speed right. dial and he could just like crank these, um, these, uh, scripts out. 
it, yeah, it, um, uh, I know it's like, it's, 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 if, if anybody's listening to this wondering, should I go watch airplane two? Um, you know, my, my advice is no, don't, I wouldn't bother, honestly. <laughs> like, I just wouldn't bother with this, with this movie. And that's why I sort of rated it as not, not good, not entertaining, not watchable. Right. <laughs> I have to agree with that. But despite that, I, I, you know, I think there's a lot of laugh out loud moments. I think often in spite of, in spite of the material for sure. But, um, yeah, Raymond Burr is, is very good in that. And yet you're absolutely right. I mean, that scene, that scene works better partly because it is, it is a new, you know, it's a new par you know, new target of, of parody for the franchise yeah. uh and more and it's more deadpan because you know the courtroom drama as a as a genre is pretty deadpan so you can have a lot of fun with with that uh also you know that's the other thing that this movie is missing isn't it there's not enough deadpan i mean it's there's a lot of winking <sighs> there's just to me it's just like a lot of it's like puns it's a lot, like of, a lot puns. of puns a lot of like a lot of like, um, you know, like Amelia Bedelia literal jokes, you know, Simon's turning to jelly. Mm -hmm. Let's show a, a jello. His arm Let's, falling or, off. He's coming apart. We'll show his arm falling off. He's turning to jelly. Let's show him as a mannequin made of jelly. Um, you know, it's like, oh God, you know, like, like the, the, um, yeah, it's just like again, like those those jokes are just kind of like uh, sight gags, half baked. I don't know. I, I I find I ended up liking the smaller gags. Like what? I like a nurse. I like a nurse wearing a uh, on the back of her shirt. I heart sanity. Yeah, I guess so. At the at the mental. Institution. Yeah, and she goes she goes on to sort little of little shit like that would make. Yeah, me this laugh. is all happening in the background of the scene, and she's checking the oil. The oil of, of the, the person per yeah, just putting exactly. a dipstick, you know, all the way down his throat and checking the oil the way, you know, and what's so funny about that, too, is that, like, talk about a cultural reference that my kids are not going to get, you know, right. it's, it's, you know, in 1982, it was not uncommon to go to the gas station and have somebody check your oil, you know, and you sort of knew what that procedure was all about. And so she's changing his IV like it's an oil can and, and she's checking his oil and and now you're looking at it going like, what is this bizarre dance going on beside, behind the scene that I'm supposed to be paying attention to? Um, it all just kind of, yeah, it's, 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 it's of a, a bygone age. This movie is just such a relic. And, and to, to, me, to me, the real, I mean, it's partly because he's one of the, the few people who came back, but um, what, the real kind of victim of all this, this inability to surpass the original movie you know, it falls down, particularly Lloyd Bridges, but also Peter Graves. I mean, Peter Graves is is mm. forced, I'm sure, against his will to do a Mission Impossible joke, which the original didn't do almost right. out of principle. Yeah, <laughs> Like they found something else to do with Peter Graves other than make fun of the fact that he's Jim Phelps from Mission Impossible. But this movie can't like because it's like. Well, what's left with Peter Graves? The fact that he did this popular show. 
and even that they still do and and i gotta say i i give peter graves complete credit for his his reprise of the cockpit inappropriate sexual chat with the child gag from the original he pulls that off Another 1982 connection, by the way, because that's the kid from Poltergeist. <laughs> well, that's just that's it just is? throwing a yes. spanner in that scene for me. But um, yeah. But like, I, I remember watching that and it's like, well, they're clearly going to do the same gag again, and then they write it in such a way that it puts off the the inappropriate comment to the very last moment. And Graves is doing a really good job, but. So there's there's a little bit of something for Peter Graves to do, and then they end up giving him a Mission Impossible joke, and then he disappears from the movie completely. With Lloyd Bridges, yeah. I mean, I I I just end up feeling so sorry for him because mm-hmm. they literally they they hired him without knowing what they were going to do with him, other than what he'd already done. And as much as I, you know, I'm never going to not want to see Lloyd Bridges doing that smoking, drinking substance abuse shtick but there yeah. really is nothing there like nothing Beyond there is that. there is nothing you can drain out of that pool partly because Lloyd Bridges did such a wonderful job the first time but and again it's like he's just abandoned in the movie and then we get to Shatner and it's like okay so here's a here's a new a new parody here's idea the new Lloyd Bridges. that speaks yeah. to the sci-fi-ness of it all which we haven't really seen yet because it's all been about redoing Airplane and I was kind of there was a sigh of relief. It's over an hour into the movie before William Shatner turns up. That was a big surprise to yeah. me. <laughs> um, well, and William Shatner, I think we've talked about this before, Tom. Like what I do remember from a first time viewing, or I'm sure I saw it several times when it came out on video, or like you said, Matt, on heavy replay on the HBO or whatever. But the one gag from this movie that stuck in my mind from the last time I saw this movie until I watched it this week was the sight gag of him being on the computer screen and then opening the door. Yeah. That stuck with me. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. a funny gag. And it's a good and, gag. And yeah. I, I liked them, you know, having to sort of shush the doors open and close. I thought that was really funny. I thought I, for yeah. some reason, I thought the, best delivered line in this entire movie is when he says let's go to the tower and he goes oh we don't have a tower sir and his, his response of no tower the way yeah. shatner deletes like no tower the, the, the it's just fucking great it's so pitch perfect and, and even i i had to read i read like 10 seconds of that thing like five times and rewatch it's the interesting it. thing because even though it's far from deadpan what uh-huh. it actually gets to that made the original mo- the performances in the original movie work is that he is doing what Leslie Nielsen and Robert Stacks were doing. They were yes, doing yeah, comedy right. without, but playing it as a drama. So Shatner, there's no discernible change in Shatner's acting from how, you know, if you watch Star Trek, the original series, he's making all the same choices. So he's not mm-hmm. leaning into the parody. That is his acting style comedy or drama and so it actually feels like up to the level of the performances in the in the uh, the leslie neal performances because you you're getting you're getting shatner doing a shatner character i don't feel like he's leaning into the comedy of it at all 
He's leaning into the crazy no, I, and I think with. he's I think he's in on the joke. Yeah, I think totally he's in on the right. Joke. That's what it is. You know, and and talk about another another. You know, we talked about Star Trek Two, being coming out that year. You know, there's a, a joke in this movie where he goes, "What is this thing? I don't know." They, they they're at the, the red this, thing, like, yeah, long going tube back and red forth. thing, and it's got a it's got a light that goes back and forth. They're like, "We've been looking at it all day, and we think that this light <laughs> turns on and that light turns off, and it goes back and forth." And and is that all it does? And yeah, we think that's all it does. That's an actual prop from Star from, Trek Two. Yeah, exactly. Nice. That that thing that they're puzzling over. So he is quite literally sending up yeah. Captain Kirk live in real time and making fun of himself and sci-fi and like in the courtroom scene like that's where i felt like the the film was doing was was breaking new ground it just felt like the rest of the film i i had never seen this was almost like the shot for shot remake right kind of kind of uh, uh and i think but they think they can get oh, away what? with that because it's called airplane 2 the sequel <laughs> yeah it's like i think that's uh, the difference I, it, is that is that intentional or is that lazy? It's both. I think it's uh, both. It felt more lazy than I don't intentional know. I to mean, me. Yeah. I was well, not it's, reading it's into that. Well, it's all lazy, but some of it is intentional, I think. Hmm. Uh, it, we'll never know until we get Ken Finkelman <laughs> in the hot seat. What? What? Do you know what, Ken, real, what really struck me? Ken is, Finkelman is is Matt's <laughs> David R. Ellis to you, Tom. What What struck me about who, who, about t- the he directed a couple of Final Destinations, Matt. And oh, Snakes okay. on a Plane. Tom believes he's a comic genius. Um, what really struck me about how the Star Trek parody works in here is that Star Trek is still such a niche cult thing compared to where it stands now in our culture that they have to throw in mm-hmm. stock footage from Star Trek of the Starship Enterprise yeah, just right. in case anyone's still not getting the gag at that point. I mean that's a that's a bad that's a bad choice, but I kind of feel that you know in 1982 they're like there's probably still a section of the audience who don't even really know that this is sending up Star Trek. Let's throw in a let's throw in a you know a cutaway to the Enterprise for no reason. Um, mm-hmm. It just it it's was it was funny you know like sci-fi is obviously growing and especially in cinema at this point. Um, but it's it's funny to me that they're still it's still Star Trek is still just the nerd, the nerd thing. And the comedy mm-hmm. cut you sort okay. of play, in, in plays on that yeah. level. I mean, Al Jean and Mike Mike Wright, uh, Reese were who were Simpsons producers and writers also wrote jokes for this movie, and you know I I just wondered whether some of the Star Trek stuff was their own little nerd kind of like subtext add on yeah, <laughs> and why right. it works so well because it's so specific to something that now we look at and everyone thinks of these as obvious jokes but i guarantee you there's a section of the audience who be like what are they parodying what it what is like i don't want i haven't seen the reruns i didn't go and see motion picture <laughs> yeah all right let's take one more break and then we'll come back and we'll finish up with airplane 2 the sequel If you like podcasts like I do, boy, do I have a treat for you. You need to stay on target and check out the Sounds and Cinema podcast. 
Listen as your host, sound designer and music creator, Tony Parham, and co-host, musical performer and sound lover, Derek Hansen, D-Rock if you're nasty, and I am, discuss all things sound-related to film, television, stage, and theatrical productions. They discuss environmental sounds, bioacoustics, dialogue, the nature of communication through sound, but as an added bonus, they drink beer and try to... Stay on target! Find them wherever you get your podcasts and listen to the pure mania of a man who can charitably be described as Doug, the dog from Up, and another man with a soothing and sultry voice trying to get that man to... Stay on target! That's the Sounds and Cinema Podcast. Tune in and listen to the sounds they are creating just for you. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. Matt and Tom and I are here discussing Airplane 2, the sequel, directed by the genius Ken Finkelman. <laughs> That's what it feels like as far as you're concerned, Matt. No. I, you know, the more I talk about this movie, the angrier I'm getting. Um, <laughs> Me too. i got to be honest. Um, i got to admit. I think I'm on to the same page as the two of you. There's a lot to be angry about. And I won't know until we talk about Halloween 3, which I ranked below Airplane 2 in its watchability. Oh, you did? I did. I That's ranked right. it below in its sort of entertainment value and watchability um, because I found it to be entirely unwatchable. But, but I'll have to wait till we get till we unpack that movie to see if I want to reverse because, um, yeah, I'm surprised by my own level of animosity toward this film part of that is like i said like this was a movie that i watched like a hundred times when i was a kid again it was on heavy rotation Mm -hmm. i i knew the punchlines before they were coming not because of poor joke construction necessarily but because i just have remembered this movie you know um and it was all kind of flooding back to me as i was watching it um and uh Part of the sort of uh, reckoning with watching some of these old movies, um, these movies that I grew up on and grew up seeing and saw in the movie theaters and watched on cable, part of the reckoning of that is going is, is, is sort of realizing like, oh, this is the this is the brain food that I ate when I was a kid. Like it's kind of like it's kind of <laughs> right. like reading the it's reading the ingredients on a box of Twinkies. You go like, oh Jesus, like the car wash joke the jive talking, mm. the sort of the character of Johnny, who's just sort of flitting in and out of scenes, you know, um, the Japanese tourists and all of this stuff. Oh. This was all part of the, um, these were just sort of, uh, it's part of the sort of the, 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 the currency of comedy in the, er, yeah, in the early 80s. Yeah, molesting priests. Yeah, priests that, that are, are looking, like, like, so there's a joke right so you you it's a throwaway joke it doesn't matter when in the movie it comes but you're showing a priest sitting on an airplane reading a copy of boy's life and then he turns it sideways to look at the centerfold which is printed in portrait and not landscape and that's all you see you know and it's um it's what's the guy's name um this guy from benson (laughs) it's like this Darren McGavin is that his that his guy from Benson. the guy from Benson yeah guy from Benson guy from Benson the governor from Benson you know (laughs) we usually say blonde guy no okay we're not big on names um uh but yeah he it's it's the guy from Benson so he's just like this sweet guy he's playing a priest and he's looking uh, and the joke is that all priests are pedophiles and yeah 
And which surprised me, by the way. Like 1982 felt pretty early to be making that call. Am mm-hmm. I remembering? Well, I think wrong, I think Mike. I think it became sort of. I think it was this like like a lot of these not that it things didn't exist. Of course, it right. existed, but. I didn't know it was in the public consciousness that much. I think, but I think in the form of like this is this is a joke you can make. Right. This yeah. is a per- like this is a perfectly safe joke that you can make. It will get by all of the gatekeepers, and make it from the writers' room to the screen. You know, and there are so many places for a joke to get murdered between the writers' room and the screen. You know, right. rightly so. Mm-hmm. There's so many places for a joke to get murdered. And and to see these jokes having run that gauntlet, um, such as it existed in 1982, is a, a testament to not like it's not a testament to Ken Finkelman. It's a testament to the to the to the gauntlet itself, that the gauntlet was not worried about these kinds of jokes and depictions, um, and that that is that is a sort of the the part of the why these movies are sometimes really hard to watch because. It's a reckoning with like what you grew up with. It's a reckoning of your own yeah. past and your own history and what what I thought was funny and what, what was I was counted told as was funny. funny. Exactly right. What I was told was funny was a priest reading Boy's Life and then turning it sideways to look at the centerfold. Which, again, as the as a writer, it's a funny joke. Like it's a it's a it's a yeah. funny joke. It's a funny bit. But as a as a man sort of looking at a movie that he grew up watching and societally you look at that and you go you go oh fuck like you know why was that taking the greatest horror of somebody's life and turning it yeah and just like why why was that in the why was that in the um in the totally safe joke to make column (laughs) yeah yeah and the, the for such a and for that, such I mean, a movie that maybe, on the whole is really it's like it's a very tame movie. It's, I don't yeah. think it's make this is not Andrew Dice Clay. We're not being bombastic here. This movie is middle of the road. It feels like it's not yeah. it doesn't it's not going outside of itself in any way that feels dangerous, right? They are carbon copying the first movie. They're making no statement themselves. And right. so all of these things are completely safe jokes to make in nineteen eighty two completely safe and yet it's 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 just it's hard to see it's about it's about issues you know ideas that are hard to see as innocuous yes but you you're absolutely right that you know they're represented as innocuous uh, it's about you know how far you're willing to go for a punchline and i have to say my my mouth literally dropped when the kid turned to his dad and said, will there be any more headlines about the rape trial? Yeah. <laughs> right. And on, on a visual level, later on in the movie, I think a scene that I, th- I think was meant to be slapstick comedy, but I just found very upsetting, is when a man is trying to shave in turbulence. Yes. And, yes. like... I, I, I know what they were going for, but what is on screen is just it's true horror. horrific. <laughs> yeah. It's it's more horrific than anything in Halloween three. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. <laughs> and I just like these shocking like a lot of a lot of the shocking darkening of tone is definitely context. And another aspect of it is just is just misfiring on getting the tone right. Yes. 
Well, like, and the thing about the shaving too is because that is a total sequel thing of one-upping. I don't know if you remember, but in the first yeah. movie, there's the grandma who's trying to oh, put on makeup, lipstick. Yeah. lipstick before the flight ends. And so that's a funny image. So, so yeah, she's, <laughs> she's she's painting up her face, and they decide what a to, funny image to up you know upstage that with the man in the bathroom and his razor. I forgot about the 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 grandma with the with the with the with the lipstick and and I think if you can imagine so this this really is the move this is the movie right here you have the original airplane that says okay during turbulent landing during this climax we're going to keep cutting back to the bathroom and there's going to be one woman who has no idea what's going on and she's just trying to put on her lipstick and it's just going to get all over her face and we're just going to keep cutting back to the lotsy of that and that's that's the first movie. And then the second movie says, that was a funny joke. What if we had, what, what else could be red and cover an entire face? <laughs> you how about know, a man's own blood? How about a man's own blood? How about a man cuts himself silly? Isn't that funny? And, and what you have is a sort of, um, like a, a grotesque photocopy of what was a, funny joke as you say tom like that's a funny image like smeared lipstick across <laughs> yeah. the face yeah it's a funny image because yeah, it doesn't involve someone cutting their own throat right um and uh and then putting he puts aftershave on it after after it all right does, isn't that what he does yeah well, yeah hopefully. and he comes out with a thousand with a thousand pieces of toilet face, paper yeah. in the end yeah yeah they wrung every it's the joke drop that keeps out of, on oh giving my god yeah, that's that's the difference between the two movies. Um, that yeah, that does kind of sum up the difference, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, and and it's just choice, you know, like choices. Um, and it's it's hard because you know, I, I, the, the the original airplane is not not offensive. True. No, 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 no. Yeah, but right. for some reason, I really take um, like I, I I just there's sometimes where what they're prepared to do for a punchline makes me sick in a way that it doesn't with the first music. Um, and the moment that I th instantly think of, and it's almost like it's a, it's a summation of all that's all that's wrong about the movie, all it's pandering is the little breather joke. Oh yeah. With Hervé yes. Villachez. Yeah. Hervé Villachez from fantasy Island, you know, say I need a little breather. Hervé Villachez, like, um, adjusts his bow tie and goes over as if to seduce while smoking. The... Yeah, I always, and... I always took that joke as he was breathing heavy, so he was an actual little breather. That's what uh... I always took that joke as. It's funny that. Yeah, I guess that too. That he was um... like hyperventilating. I thought they were also making. Yeah, I never make, got the sexual reference. Of... I feel so <laughs> obtuse now. I never got the sexual <laughs> reference to that. Maybe it's not there, or maybe it's just it's just. That... I read into it what you did, Tom. Okay. No, I'm wrong. The... You guys are right. I I I am <laughs> obtuse. Is the problem? I just thought they were doing an Amelia Bedelia. Like we're gonna be literal and and actual. I could use a little breather. Let's visualize that in some literal way. Yeah. Um, and it's 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 you know it's riffing off the fact Fantasy Island is at the height of its popularity. So that's not good because that's common. They have a dating couple of those movie. too because Joyce DeWitt is one of the uh, jurors in the jury room. Really? From Three's Company. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but just, I just, you know, it's like, but the fact that they've just got, you know, like, 
as if it's not enough the life that this man has led. You have to like rope him into this movie to do this little person joke. Yeah. Not even a good one. With weird sexual undertones and <laughs> that were completely lost on me. <laughs> hopefully, and hopefully, we're lost on more people than, than just me and Mike. Uh, but I, I don't. I was, I was sad for him. I was offended for his community, <laughs> and it, and I felt like, it, you know, it's a gag that's not gonna date well past the end of 1982. So what's the point of doing it anyway? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think you're. It's not like Fantasy Island's gonna be this thing that ever it's not like fantasy island's going to be this thing that is now being rebooted in 2021 yeah, right right, right. everything <laughs> or everything... made animation major motion pictures just a year exactly i've completely dispelled my own point there never mind <laughs> well i think i think the um the you're talking about sort of the the carbon dating of it and you know there is a i i, I don't think that that's an that's anathema to the genre i think i think no I think in some ways that is the that is the superpower of the genre is is that it, it yeah. can send up it can be topical, which is you know movies generally aren't they don't try to be topical you know um, because they take so long to make mm. you know that it, it, you can't be you know and so you have to sort of reach for the for the for the big and timeless you know um, and uh, yeah and, and but these movies can actually they're nimble enough to be topical mm. they're nimble enough to put in like an 11th hour et joke right. because that is the cultural reference and if you look at the wayans brothers um um send-ups of the 90s yeah you know um they were they were up to the minute you know uh, on the movies that they were spoofing you know mm-hmm. with that kind of rapid fire thing um but but so so but but, but whoever was behind this and i i, I will say it's ken Finkel, finkelman but acknowledging that there were probably several writers rooms over the course of the, however long they did this yeah. to just punch up the jokes and just kind of, you yeah, know, a lot of script. Dog yeah. Just kind of joke. They just it. like have a joke session and like throw a thousand mm-hmm. things on the wall and pick 10, you know, um, and pick the 10 most racist. Well, or... that's the thing is, is I go, I go, I go the, the, um, um, the whole ethos of like, who was the gatekeeper for these jokes and who was the who was the arbiter of like we're gonna put that in the movie, um, is so different than the first movie. You know, it really, yeah. You know, the 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 team that did Airplane, you know, the sort of that was their first big movie. The Kentucky Fried Movie was was their first movie, yeah, which is right. its own kind of weird culty thing. And you know, um, and then they went on to keep doing this. You know, yeah, um, with with Naked Gun Just and with Hot here. Shots, and they they sure. sort of created this genre um and there was a certain i don't know it was just that it was their taste it was their thing yeah it was just it was it was it was off of their taste and like the wayans brothers movies had a different taste you know but here we have this one where it's like it's we're getting ken finkelman's taste here you know or the taste of the panel of executives at paramount like i don't know who 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 was the gatekeeper on this um, but we're getting a taste here, and the and the the taste level is so low, and so like contemptible, I guess. And and I but that's I, like, like like Mike, I gravitate. I like as Mike was saying, I gravitated towards the 
the the least offensive humor that there was just it was just plain stupid like danger vacuum yeah. and then a vacuum attacks yeah him. right yeah exactly. uh you know is that a good sign well it does the job you know put clipboard here and like but i i think that was more just trying to salvage the the you know the 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 least offensive common denominator really the thing that the thing that i could enjoy without guilt <laughs> not that i enjoyed the offensive comedy in this one but uh, you know it i just you know it was like simple a plus b equals punchline yeah right. like those those moments and that's a lot of what shatner's doing you know it's a very simple it's a very simple nexus of jokes that he's embedded in and it just and, and it happens fast as well which really helps it's like a, like all his sequences are very are done at speed because he's trying to emulate the pace of a of a kind of star trek episode and it's like i i think that is where it succeeds for me but that's probably not where it was meant to hit the hardest in fact they were probably writing off those jokes as as just some nonsense to nonsense filler, but it, it, those are the parts of the movie I gravitate towards, just because they're so they're so innocent in retrospect. Totally, it feels like like with Grease too. You had the songs being written by different writers, you know, different songwriters. It feels like these jokes are being written by like okay, those are my those are my sight gag guys. They're over there and they're right, coming yeah. up with they're coming up yeah. with the guy fighting the vacuum. Those are my racist guys. They're doing all the all the stuff with the jive talking like and those these are my these are my TNA guys they're going to do all those a dedicated racist department yeah, yeah. i like that idea um, right yeah. you know and like i think that's the um and it's like but it also feels matt like there was like that ken finkelman himself it feels like they had all those departments and then they put them all together but there was no one person looking at all of them together maybe maybe it just sort of suffered from from like sequenceitis where you just you're filming gags and you're like we'll fix it and edit we'll put it all together at all because mm -hmm. th there's a interchangeability of of uh these scenes and all these gags that we're talking about it feels like um kind of acts in a vaudeville show um as opposed to part of a story and i think that's you know i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing or like no you know but but we know it can work we've seen it yeah work we've elsewhere. seen it work um but god it just there's something just so labored about these jokes that they just seem to take forever to get to you know or they ring they ring too much out of them like like the shaving guy you know or like that we were really supposed to think that sonny bono appearing in a movie was funny in and of itself like that as a terrorist as a terrorist Let's not yeah forget. that that yeah. that that was but as a terrorist who was blowing up a plane because he was he was impotent yes yeah so again like <laughs> the internal logic of like it just it, it there's like yeah, what am i where is... am i supposed to i don't it's like i don't know it's like I, where's the well, handle there's so much of what am i supposed too. to grab onto here right am i supposed to grab well, on to sunny bono am i supposed to grab onto a bomb on a plane am i supposed to grab onto you know the 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 cleveland clinic joke of it all um i just i didn't know where to 
it just but like Tom and I were talking about before, that's when I started gravitating towards. We got the Mayo Clinic on the line, and there's just a guy in a room with twenty nine jars of mayonnaise. Yes. That's I ended up liking those jokes the yes. most. Yeah. Yeah. There's another 1982 connection in this movie, by the way. Did you notice that uh, uh, Sandal Bergman is at the end of this movie with Shatner, and she is the female lead in Conan the Barbarian? No. Wow. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, 1982 is the center of the universe. Wasn't Adrian's Med in T.J. Hooker? Yes, with Shatner. So, there we go, Shatner's Med. Coming together to form T.J. Hooker. <laughs> he's he's so good in this. I mean, there's there's a moment where we've talked before when we did our watch along of Star Trek: The Motion Picture. How one one of the things we've noticed about Shatner's acting is is that he changes track mid sentence. Like his thought process, Famously. you can see his thought yeah. process changing mid sentence, and it happens here. <laughs> And I just, I just, I'm just grateful for that level, you know, that detail of of, of self spoof that only really he's doing in this movie. I think we all, we can all agree that the Shatner of it all is like, to me, it's the only thing worth watching. Like, like if you were to say like, I should I watch like, Airplane Two? I'd be like, watch the last 25, 30 minutes. Twenty minutes, yeah. I was also struck by how good the effects were in this movie. It had a budget. What does everyone think? What does everyone think about that? I mean, I, I mean. That that was one of the tar the, the the spoof targets of the original was how bad the you know it was referencing movies where the effects weren't very good. Is this because it's science fiction? They feel the need to like they can't make that joke because it's science fiction, and in general, the effects in like late seventies, early eighties science fiction are really good that they feel like they have to compete with that. I don't know. It was very confusing for me to. I was like, wow, that's a good piece of back projection. The model looks, the model of this shuttle looks really good. Uh, What's going on here? This is an airplane movie. My my sense is that it had a much bigger budget um, yeah. than, the, than the first one. And so they probably did. That's what they know, spent their put, money on. Put it toward production value. But but as, as you're kind of maybe hinting at, Tom, uh, they might have been better served by making it look cheap. I think and, so. And mm-hmm. sending up the cheap looking you know b b sci-fi i think you know? they which i guess is what they're doing, doing in that. the in the well only in the shatner bits everywhere else in the movie everything looks to me look really good for 1982 the, the, the shuttle lift off looked fine like like yeah. especially for the for the for the time but when it's going towards the sun and then it does the u-turn that's just the sight gag that's at all. the like, sight that's, you know so th- that's i think the they're playing fall. into it at times trying to make it mm. look silly. But yeah, I thought that was a missed opportunity to to take aim at some of the, at, you know, the, I don't know, TV sci-fi or something like that. But again, it's not, that's not as big a part of the movie as you'd think for, for a movie that's set in space in the future. Yeah. Right. I, I, I generally, my rule of thumb is that money is the enemy of comedy. Um, mm. And that you know, the the bigger the budget, the the less funny your comedy is going to be. Um, and so, I sort of see that. I, I see the inherent scrappiness that comes with making a low budget film, 
being part of what kind of gives a comedy its life, you know? Um, and, uh, and so when they have to shoot a, a, a larger, you know, budget thing with, you know, whether there's effect shots or, or all that, it, it tends to kind of slow down the production and make it less about the people doing funny things and more about like, we got to make it look good. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I thought in, in a, in a, in a completely, in a pure pastiche way, they, you know, the, the science fiction movies that they were visually taking on, they, they did a good job of simulating that with the sort of fisheye lens effect from 2001. Mm-hmm. The Star Wars crawl, like, it, it feels more, it, like, past, because uh, there's kind of two ways that, that, that even the Zuckers go, that, you know, you have, there's the parody of the thing you're doing, and you're either doing the pastiche version of that, like pa- Police Squad, which, you know, there is no discernible difference between an episode of Police Squad and an episode of Dragnet. Right. You know, it, it they're both equally as funny, and Airplane's kind of more in that direction. Yeah. And the later hot shots in the, the Naked Gun movies are a bit more, you know, a bit more cartoonish. Right. In style. Um, but but here I was just like I was like yeah that looks that looks like the scene from two thousand and one like that's a really credible. I mean maybe that speaks to the money of it that you know they put that money into emulating the production values of science fiction films. So I'm like, but there's no joke there. It's just. <laughs> our acknowledgement that this looks the same. Yeah, there's no joke. So it really is the enemy of comedy, as you're saying, because it's like, it's a a level of humorless pastiche. I do remember thinking, Tom, that I wished that a few years later when they were making Rambo First Blood Part 2 in our last episodes, we talked about the computers at the end of that movie. And I remember wishing that the people from that movie had talked to the people from this movie or Halloween 3 about making a computer look what, what computers look like yeah exactly <laughs> as opposed to just silver boxes with lights on it but hey maybe they were the same boxes maybe there was like three computers that went around all the movie studios <laughs> right. that sounds about right that there was one prop house that specialized in in computers because nobody nobody knew what computers were or what they could do, which is why all the movies from this era are about fear of computers. Right. You know, and oh, and, definitely. Yeah, it's a, it's well, a real. Well, and that's I have a note here that's that says, so true. Shouldn't yeah. James Cameron have directed this movie? <laughs> I don't know about that note, man. <laughs> I'm not gonna. You you could take that note on the highway. I'm gonna keep that note on local roads. <laughs> I did. I did notice that, like Superman three, there is there is another moment in this movie where um, the inability to visualize what even near future technology would look like means that they just fall back on it looks like a video game. Yeah, yeah. which Again. Mean, we've seen in Superman three and many other movies. It's just like it's a kid, you know, like a kid is playing Mission Control like a video game. And while that's, you know, within this movie, that is the gag. It's like, uh, it's turning into an arcade game. We know from other movies around this time that there was no other way to represent computers except as a video arcade. Because it was, 
it was the thing that the adults making the movies didn't understand. It was yeah. the, it was the mysterious thing that that they just took as threatening. Um, and mm. so, you know, it's, it gives you war games and it gives you, you know, the, the, the gag in this movie, which is Mission Control. Um, you know, a kid sits down at the computer and right. uh, plays it like a video game and crashes the incoming show. And kills a bunch of people. And kills a bunch of people That's and just right. kind of like, he's this little prep school kid with a red tie. There's all of these like um, Reaganite kind of figures in this floating in and out of this movie yeah. that just do so much damage everywhere they go. Um, y- you know, the uh, I'm thinking of the, you know, the 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 young woman who who you know who's saying oh i don't think we're gonna make it through this um you know and i've never been with a man yeah. before you know by the end and she's who, fucking a mule right right she herself is sort of like a, a prep school kind of figure but like the first person she talks to is like you know this this young guy in a suit and like these uh, um um they're there are so like the two the two businessmen who kiss each other you know like there's all of these like um, besuited businessmen, <laughs> yeah, right. Just, just being sort of the agents of chaos um, uh, throughout um, throughout the uh, uh, the film. That again, when we get to Halloween three, the the, the besuited businessman oh, yeah, um, is is such a is such a trope along being with the um, writ large. Yeah, it's such a it's such a trope of the era along with the with the um, video game um, video game apocalypse. Um, and that, and that, that's a big part of the hypocrisy in this this movie that they they they're kind of taking pot shots at Reagan. They're taking pot shots at the Catholic Church. These big institutions coming off as, um, you know, satirists and oppositional right. thinkers. But at the heart of the movie, the, the the overall sense of it is like is very pro reaganite america absolutely it, that's this we're saying about sort of the, the the racism and the sexism it's all a part of sort of um, um edifying the the white man right all of these jokes are are and these these um the the, the currency of this humor is all yeah. designed to make the white man feel better, better about himself right and, and so and so yes they're they're saying like ah you know fuck this reagan guy in one in one scene yeah. Um, but then they're sort of um, um, celebrating the, you know, the the the, the triumph of the, yeah, of the, of the white of man Reagan's and the white America. savior. Yeah. And there's there's literally a scene which, uh, where, where, and again, it's supposed it's a, it's a science fiction joke projecting into the future as the source of your comedy. But what's really behind it is the scene with the, the couple, the middle aged couple talking about being at Woodstock. Yeah. Right. And what's behind that scene for me is, hey liberals, you lost. Yes, and 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 um, it, you're done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, absolutely, um, and that that even the most diehard, um, w- you know, of the Woodstock generation are now wear suits. Yeah, and they're middle aged and they're lumpy, and yeah. um, and it didn't last. The party didn't well, last. Well, at know. the same time, when they do that PBS parody. You're, you know, they're playing the other yeah. side of the of the debate where they're saying, you know, everything's getting too liberal. It's, it's, it's yeah. The the there's lots of. What is the internal logic of this movie? Where, where is this movie coming from? 
Like, what does this movie have to say? Like, say, is this a counterculture movie? Or is this a, is this a status quo kind of institutional movie? Like, where... This no, it's movie absolutely is, is, the institutional movie. I just feel like this movie kind of um, ducks away from everything yeah. out of fear of being anything. Yeah. Right. But like, I think like, I, I mean it's easy. I think it's easier now to see it as a moral mess. Like, the, well, that too. <laughs> but yeah, to see it as as very, you know pro status quo, deeply entrenched conservative but i think it's actually worse than that because it's pretending to be countercultural to some extent it, it, yeah. and that moments. is more yeah, offensive right. to me than a movie like a, a rambo movie which is just like jingoistic it's just and, like yeah. worships at the altar of reagan but you you can take it on face value with this movie it's trying to hide be behind these these satirical bells and whistles that that portrays it like a you know the dark soul of a Reagan Republican. <laughs> I, yeah, it's like this weird. Um, uh, it's this. It's like a, it's it's a it's wearing a mask in a certain way. And yeah. I know, like, I mean, silver shamrock mask. Uh, I think I, I think know. it's official. I, I think it's official now. We have talked about this movie more than anyone who made it. Yeah, I, I think exactly. I think <laughs> I, I think I think uh, I, it's been I, to me that's by everyone. I think to me, like that's the that's the when I that's my first takeaway from this movie is like, oh, this was just kind of stamped out quickly, and they threw Ken on it, and he hung on for the for you know, for his life, dear life, and uh, and they had a bunch of punch up gag sessions with all the whoever was, you know, the the, the you know the probably Babaloos. man probably white group like affordable writers uh, at that time. And, and, uh, they, they, there was no cohe. It wasn't coming from any one point of view. It no. wasn't cohesive. It was, it was, uh, a throw everything against the wall, you know, pack it, pack it, pack it. Let's get it out by Christmas. Kind of, yeah. that's what I'm, that's, that's my initial impression of, of when I'm watching this movie. Um, but then when I kind of have to take a step back and, and, and think like, who made this movie and what were they trying to say? What were they trying to do? Was it nothing? Like, were they trying to say and do nothing? Or was there something that we're, that I missed? I think maybe the ideas, whatever they were, were coming so fast at them that they, it's about a hundred different things that was never, you know, given any kind of cohesion mm -hmm. it was just like you said they just kept throwing things at the wall and then they looked at the wall and said well that's a pretty decent mosaic full of shitty ideas let's let's go with that <laughs> and done that's what it feels like to me yeah it's i mean it's the fact i mean a lot of this comes down to authorship and this is this you know now that the zuckers are gone it's basically someone from the outside looking in thinking, this looks easy. Yeah. yeah. It looks I, easy I, to string together a bunch of gags. And but you but you know that there is like a you know, there's there there is a machine in the middle of it which is which is making sense of it all and that's that's the kind of authorship part of it and the ability to go, No, that gag doesn't work, let's move this one here and 
you're right. I, I I don't think there's any thought put into the flow of humor in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's because that, that I mean, you know, the one of the kind of worst things about reviewing comedy, any kind of comedy, is when reviewers fall back on, oh, it's hit and miss. It's like, mm-hmm. do you know how hard comedy writers have to work to get any kind of hits? Yeah. And do you know how the misses are playing into making the hits better and all that sort of stuff? Right. And I th- think this is like cynicism, as Matt said, you know, exactly to come in to come into this and go, um, you know, how hard can it be to string a bunch of sight gags together with a few boobs in the middle of them? That, that seems to be the depth of the mission statement that they were working with. Yeah, right. And, and, and so as a viewer, I get, you know, I get a bit ticked off. Um, All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you have a different thought about Airplane 2 and disagree with us, you're going to have to let us know. Find us on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. Send us an email to everythingsequel at gmail.com. And let us know your thoughts. Tom and I rate this movie dead last. Matt might be on the fence now. I believe you ranked it third. I ranked it third. Halloween 3 is still less watchable than this. That movie did a number on you. I'll say. <laughs> you think that's a, that's a more successful movie than this. I didn't say more successful. I said less watchable (laughs) (laughs) all right ladies and gentlemen we'll see you next time for piranha 2 the spawning say goodbye boys (laughs) goodbye can we just do it right now (laughs) (laughs) do we have to wait (sighs) i just wanted i just wanted to mention george went checks a baby that's right in this movie That's neither here nor there, but I did want to mention it. (laughs) Duly noted. It's good to get that off your chest. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) All right, take care, everybody. We'll see you next time.